welcome back to the Affinity Collective Action Broadcast, your one-stop shot for news both here in Ireland and around the world, as well as a little bit of banter and our opinions and hopes and dreams and fears and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Mostly opinions and yeah. dreams and fears. <laughs> Mostly fears these days. Mostly so. fears, oh god. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm Eleanor. Uh, if you listen to this, you might remember me <laughs> ramble <laughs> today. I'm you might by. remember me from previous podcasts, <laughs> such as Affinity Collective Action Broadcast Podcast One, <laughs> Three, Five, <laughs> and the one you're listening to now. Uh, yeah, I'm joined by uh, Mouse. So I'm your co-host uh, for this podcast. I was going to say tonight, but you can actually listen to this podcast whenever you want. Uh, it's just nighttime as we record yeah. it because uh, we're really on point and really together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, we recorded at uh, dusk. <laughs> no, it's definitely past dusk. I mean, it's it's winter dusk, now. Yeah, dusk is at like one p.m. <laughs> ten ten exactly. seconds of daylight. Dusk is definitely yeah afternoon uh, these days. It's yes. a little bit much. I, I I'm like I'm like oh, almost summer. The days are almost getting brighter again, and then yeah. I have to keep reminding myself it's like that's not summer. It's such a long road <laughs> to summer. It's gonna be okay. Yeah, when when we hit the old. Uh, uh, days getting shorter thing during COVID. I was, uh, I had a little bit of fear, but it was okay. But then when we reached the the darkest day, I was like, oh, oh. But everything is a cycle. It all comes and goes. Everything ebbs and flows. The only constant is change. Summer will come again. Uh, yeah, I'm a a little bollocks. Uh, but I was up at like. Five. I had food poisoning in the last couple of days, so I haven't felt too ill, but just really weird in my belly. <laughs> and then I mm-hmm. had to teach a class, and then I went to work in town, and then I taught another class, and now I'm here. Fair play. That's a busy day. That's solid. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do we wanna oh. Do we wanna kick off by maybe talking about the land or doing an update, kind of? For sure. Are we, are we staying on this? I loads of croissants. This, but... I just remembered that. You gave loads of croissants. <laughs> yeah, because I put out a call for Food Not Bombs and I didn't mm-hmm. expect, but I got a, a, a one company gave me a thousand, or a cafe near my gaff, sorry, gave me a, a thousand compostable cups because I was like, we want to keep what we're doing in line with like not having lots of single-use plastics. So I gave a thousand cups, but then the next day, Drop by my gaff with like a, a thousand <laughs> croissants <laughs> and like pastries and stuff. So we kept some for the end of the week, and then the rest I, I was mm-hmm. given out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. You've mentioned kind of like food not bombs. Um, on the off chance that someone who's listening to an anarchist podcast doesn't know what food not bombs is, why don't why don't why don't you give a rundown of what it is? <laughs> um, yeah, so food not bombs is I guess like a grassroots effort to share like free vegan and vegetarian food with people that need it. Um as well as being like an anti war movement. It started in the states i think in massachusetts in like the 80s and mm-hmm. food not bombs chapters have spread up 
all over the spread spread ups <laughs> spread out all over the world as a result there's like thousands in its class and yeah I actually met them when I was in Oakland in California like about three three years ago mm-hmm. and uh, I remember being like oh what a class name and someone just yelled at me and they're like well millions of people go hungry every day how can we spend another dollar on more I was like that is so mm-hmm. right but I just I love the community it cultivated it was a weekly event it was free groceries uh, just like hot tasty food skill sharing would just like happen as a result of that and yeah then I, th- I think I think there was a chapter in Dublin like uh, a few years ago and I didn't really hear anything about it after that but then recently um, I think it's it was uh, a member of the collective uh, was actually involved in like re-establishing the chapter in Dublin yeah uh, so yeah 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 definitely um, I've done it a couple of times I've, I've helped cook but I've, I've bowed out the last few times because yeah. I've been quite I've been quite busy yeah um, um, but yeah I love it it's a bit trickier in Dublin because it's very cold and wet at the moment and the logistics of kind of sh- schlepping a table and the Covid screen around can mm-hmm. be uh, tricky sometimes but um, yeah I love it I'd love to do something as well like in Oakland there was an it was called the is it the East Oakland burrito roll <laughs> and it was just like loads of vegans getting together making shit tons of burritos, sticking them on their backpacks and then just buzzing around all of the East Bay, uh, giving people burritos. And, uh, I mean, that's the way to live. Like yeah, for sure. being, being given a burrito, no matter who you are, is always going to improve your day. Yeah, I think that maybe that could be like a good way to do things, uh, at the moment because with Food Not Bombs, a huge part of it for, for me anyway, was like being able to g- gather loads of people together but because of mm-hmm. COVID, it's like really hard to do that, and it would definitely attract like unwanted attention. So yeah. maybe like tossing burritos. Oh, I also saw this. Sorry, I don't want to go off on another tangent, but I saw <laughs> something recently, and it's like this free, uh, free fridge community fridge project, and it's so mm-hmm. cool. It's like it's all over the states now. I saw one in Portland, but it's like just a big giant fridge and it's painted all beautifully and people just drop food for other people who need it to take and then like people will like make a cabinet beside it and fill it just full of like sanitary products and like clothes and toiletries and then uh yeah I just I love it and I was like I want to have a community fridge in Dublin and I was like Oh, I was just imagining what that would look like. like oh, it would be stolen or like vandalized. <laughs> it would end up in the canal in like yeah. a, a matter of minutes. Like, yeah, I know. like it wouldn't even be like a day. It would just be like minutes. Yeah. What's the crack with Dublin? Like things, we just have this n- notorious population where like if there's something beautiful, it's vandalized very quickly. <laughs> Like, even the public bikes, I've seen so many of those public electric bikes that have just, they've been, like, set on fire. And it makes me <laughs> so, like, I have a little macabre laugh, but then I'm like, oh, this is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so beautiful. We're all going around on, like, little electric bikes with fridges, feeding each other, loving each other. <laughs> with Everything is plants and trees. and uh, But, no, someone has to go set everything on fire and pee on everything and drop penises on everything. And even, yeah. like, public phone booths, when they used to be a thing, they'd always just get smashed. I believe you mean public toilets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like bus shelters, like people yeah. will just smash the glass for the crack. And I'm like, why? If you're going to smash anything, smash the doll. Like, why a bus stop? Because there's a, there's, a, there's a police officer outside the doll, like every moment of every day. <laughs> smash them. <laughs> there's logic and compassion. But there's only one, to be fair. So, you know, if you had a couple of people. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm in a bit of an ethereal, uh, rambly state. Thank you for listening. <laughs> for listening. Uh, so yeah, we are. Oh yeah, update. That's what we are gonna do, right? Yeah, um, let's try and keep the the format that was kind of like segment. Uh, to- the segment, uh, to that, segment that was two. discussed before. <laughs> Um, so I guess, yeah, we are still, uh, still trying to get the sale finalized on this plot of land. Um, but exciting news is that we might have found a place to rent nearby. So initially when we'll be doing up the land, um, it'll be winter and pretty harsh to live out on in tents or caravans or whatever out in the land. So we're hoping to rent a house nearby, um, so that we can go out, do all our hard work. Uh, and then come back and drink tea and watch Netflix and <laughs> and, and chill. <laughs> yeah, and chill. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, no chilling. We've we've become one of those communes, eh? Um, uh, no, so so it would just be nice to have the kind of comfort while we work during the harsher months of the year. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah. We're bugging. We're bugging the person uh, trying uh, about finalizing this land for ages. So yeah, it's I don't know. It's slow. Everyone was saying it was slow, and I was like, Nah, it'll be different for us. Like we'll just br- <laughs> we'll breeze through this process. Like don't worry. Like it yeah. was slow for you because you don't know what you're doing, and like we get in there, and it's like, Oh God, this is so slow. <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean, like because. I was a bit busy and I wasn't involved with that end of things for a bit. But then I was like, wow, this is going really smoothly. Uh, like, well, obviously not like taking the last, you know, couple of years there. Well, we really <laughs> Two <laughs> we were years and we've already found a plot of land that we like. <laughs> oh, it was like when this one was found and it was like, right, yeah, let's go with it. Uh, everything seemed to be like going it's not super fast, but not like really slow. And I was like, wow. And then when we had the deed sign, it was like, wow, we can just go to the lawn tomorrow and start fucking building yurts and like planting trees. Yeah. Um, but no, it is, it is what I'd heard like, oh, there's a long waiting game and sometimes it can take, you know, like a few months or like a year. I was like, but why? <laughs> we have the money. They have the paper, just a little signature. It's grand. Like, um, you, so. yeah, that's, that's what I thought. I was like, look, we got the money, they got the paper, we agreed to sell it. I'm like, why? what's taking so long? Like, they've taken takes... the deposit and they've taken their stick and rag and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> there was no land. <laughs> what did we see? We, we, I was going to say we spiked your water, but I was about to say we spoke your water. <laughs> we spoke your water with the... With a magical land uh, potion that you see, a land that's not there. Anyway, Classic. Yeah, I fall for it every time. On the land, and it's going to be great. But I've also had concerns, uh, probably like yourself, that like Ireland's a really wet country, and it's not like you're going into the desert and you're going to build 
the structure and it's always kind of just windstorms and it sometimes rains but it's always dry so it's kind of you know that's nice but with Ireland like it can turn to sludge you see it happen at festivals it's just so sludgy <laughs> so uh, being able to like have a space nearby to like build out while we you know build mm-hmm. on the sludge <laughs> Uh, so we don't have to be at one with the sludge 24-7 because that might like you know wear away at us is is exciting and nice yeah i mean there's a house on the land but it, it's pretty derelict like yeah. like it needs a lot of work like you couldn't move into it today i mean one thing is all of the windows are smashed out in it so that's not a great start you know so we at least need to replace them mm. um uh, so like harshing out winter in that is like we could do it but i prefer to live in comfort um and to me it's kind of worth the money you know <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm just gonna go and build a little tiny cob dome <laughs> all i need is straw sand and dirt and a big hardy bollocks of a soul <laughs> yeah um but yeah cool so that's a that's a good update we're waiting and it's exciting. Well, so so here's the other thing. Like, I, I've been reading the news throughout the week, uh, and it's been really depressing. And to be honest, I don't, you know, I know we normally talk about, like, current events and all that kind of thing on this podcast, but I, I'd like to skip that a little bit this week um, because uh, I'm a bit sad today and there's a lot of war in the world kind of happening. Um, so maybe we could talk about more about the project um, while it's just the two of us um, and kind of how it's set up and uh, how we're planning on doing things, how things are already working, um, what's in the legislation um, and how we got around that. Um, For anyone who's interested in maybe setting up a cooperative of their own. Yeah, that that sounds great. We could, so I for anyone editing this, you can edit this question to mouse because it's not necessary. But yeah, are we going to omit talking about the news uh, at all then? No, I think we can talk about the okay. news a little bit. Well, but well, the... but I, it would be nice to focus on something more positive, you know? Yeah, cool. So with the legislation, are you talking about get, getting around what legislation? Yeah, so, so in Ireland... Um, uh, legislation for cooperatives is um, really outdated, as in most of it uh, was written before the Irish state existed, um, and it's still the same, uh, which is, I would class as very outdated. <laughs> it's over 100 years old now. Yeah, yeah it's over 100, 100 years old now. Um, so the, the path that we've taken, which is pretty common, is something called an industrial and provident society. And if you've never heard of that, don't worry, I've never heard of that either. Um, <laughs> and I'm really into co-ops. So, uh, so it was a bit of a learning curve as to what is kind of entailed by that. Um, and, uh, and it, it's basically saying that, like, it works a lot like a limited liability company, mm-hmm. um, which is just a way of saying that the only money you can kind of lose is the money that you put into the project. So, like, you and the company have, like, separate accounts, essentially. So, the company has how much money it has, and you have how much money you have, and they're separate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's like limited liability. I've learned far too much about business. Um, and I barely know anything, but it's more than I ever intended to learn. I learned um, so much, but I know nothing. <laughs> let it not be for not the yeah. one that's good for the lamb, but why don't you lay it on, lay it on the ears? <laughs> yeah, so it, so basically it's saying there's, you know, there is an amount of shares, um involved in this kind of thing um and the legislation's really vague <clears throat> it doesn't have a lot of like legal requirements other than um let's see what was it that you have to be get an auditor in uh every year that's one of the requirements and then a bunch of weird stuff like you need a company seal and you need to have yeah. your sign outside and like all this like 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 proper, you know, eighteen hundreds kind of legislation. Yeah, um, I mean, it, some some things that are outdated are frustrating, but the company seal—it's just bizarre, <laughs> but also kind of exciting and cool that we can have a seal. <laughs> Signet not, rings. We need <laughs> it. Not some wax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we can seal it uh, with our company seal because. <laughs> <laughs> got to be on the cutting edge, like all those rack. Well, it's very, very difficult to forge. <laughs> um, so there's a load of weird stuff like that in there, but not a lot of stuff uh, actually restricting how the company is governed um, or its decision making process. Um, one, the only position that's actually required by legislation is to have a secretary. Um, so we obviously had to include a secretary in our constitution, um, which is fine. Um, that's just, an, that, that, that is like the official position we have. Um, and the rest, we decided to have governance by general assembly sociocracy, mm-hmm. which is an absolute mouthful there. So like, I, I'll try and explain as best I can. Yeah, simply what that means. So um, we operate by General Assembly, which means that the committee that runs our organization is literally everyone in the organization. Um, We meet up periodically and discuss things that affect the collective as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is written into the legislation of uh, or written into the constitution of our uh, society or collective or business or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then from there, we've got what we call them circles. Um, you can call them working groups, mm-hmm. um, which is the process of sociocracy, which means that smaller, more lower level decisions that don't need to be made by the collective as a whole can be made on these lower lower levels. Um Reasonably famously, uh, this is how Rojava um, operates as an autonomous region, um, and that is the size of a country using this kind of like bottom-up sociocratic method. Um, It doesn't mean that we're skipping over kind of like the, the General Assembly, the idea that everyone has input. It just means that all the discussion and decision-making can take place on the the level of of a circle or a working group. And then before that's finalized, that can just be brought up at a meeting and can quickly be run over. Like, you know, if it's like, 
I want, like, let's decide where to put solar panels. We can discuss that in a working group mm-hmm. um, and decide that and finalize it and then come to the place and be like, is this okay with everyone? And everyone can be like, yeah, that's fine. Or one person could be like, that's my house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want it there. But, it, it, you know, so there's still the opportunity to dispute things. It just means that we're not all meeting up and being like, how do we make these tiny decisions um, that won't necessarily affect everyone in this big, long meeting that no one wants to attend? Yeah, absolutely. It just creates a lot of unnecessary obstacles when there's already, like, big obstacles that the group needs to work on together. Like, I remember when the circles were created and it was just, like, really nice to be able to break it down into something very organised because, yeah, like, some people... Not that they don't care about the podcast, but they're not going to mind what the title <laughs> of it is or what format, you know, the audio is. <laughs> Go on, name them and shame them now. Let's let's call them out. Like, this person had nothing to do with this podcast. Or... <laughs> 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 so leave the collective because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want it to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a project that's got so many moving parts and like a shit ton of like passion and fears and a lot of creativity. Like to always wait for everybody would, uh, yeah, just 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 take a hell of a long time. It's not even about waiting. It, it it's just taking all of the discussion, the unnecessary discussion outside of the main group, so that we we can try and keep meetings relatively short. Because um, no one really enjoys a long meeting discussing stuff that they don't really care about. Like, if you go to a meeting and you don't care about 80% of the things there, you don't want to spend, you know, 90% of your time talking about them. Like, it's just a little much. Um, it is important to get people's input, but, like, the discussion can happen outside of that kind of, like, sphere. And, like, our project is such a general, like, project. That's the everything. Like, you know, some places are, like, a housing co-op. Some people are more, like, you know, a farm. Some projects are more, like, a, you know, like, like a social centre. And we're kind of, like, all three, um, plus a little bit extra, plus whatever we decide we want to be in the future. Um, which is another thing that's not really legislated against in Irish legislation, which was really cool that we could go in there and be like, we're not really a housing co-op, but we're a housing co-op. <laughs> and they were kind of like, okay, f- fair enough. Um, s- as long as we're not a bank, we're fine. Or like a credit union, we're fine. Cause that requires extra legislation. Um, but we were, we were pretty lucky in that it's not. There isn't something forcing us to be more specific about what we're doing. But again, it means sociocracy works really well for how we make decisions. Uh, Not everyone who is involved in the collective has to live on the land or be involved in decisions that affect people that live on the land. Not everyone has to be involved in decisions around like a community garden or farming. Not everyone has to be involved in decisions around setting up an electronics lab or a science lab or something either you you can just be involved in the things that you're interested in you know sounds good to me (laughs) checks out (laughs) i want to be a bank (laughs) yeah you can't be a bank that's the one thing (laughs) that's the one thing we're not allowed to be (laughs) 
so are both. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I like credit unions. I like the idea of credit unions, mm-hmm. um, of having a cooperative um, that does handle banking is pretty sweet. Um, and I hope that we can open an account um, with a credit union to kind of like keep intact of like cooperatives, helping cooperatives or like moving away from kind of like capitalist structures or more capitalistic structures. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that a credit union is anti-capitalist. I think that's a little ridiculous, but mm-hmm. it is less capitalist than, more you know, than Bank yeah. of Ireland or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a, a thought like a requirement of being, you know, registered would include having to open a bank account. Um which is something none of us were particularly enthusiastic about. So having, yeah. um, I guess, like the space and opportunity to open a credit union instead is, yeah. Well, we hope so. We'll, we'll yeah. have to ask the credit unions in the area, which is yeah. on my list of things to do. Yeah. Um, so we have, we have all these circles and they are kept in like a list, in like a book. Um, that kind of depicts what these circles are and will have a basic outline of their function. Um, the only circle that has to exist, the rest of them are kind of like malleable um, and can change from time to time. The only one that, that's there for sure is the treasury circle, mm-hmm. which is basically our accounts. Um, so that has to have a revolving membership in it so that there's less potential for someone to steal from the collective um, and has to have at least three members in it at any one time. Um, so that's how we're kind of handling money at the minute. Um, all financial decisions will be made by the, or finalized at the very least by the General Assembly. Um, but the Treasury Circle will be responsible for actually like moving the money around and making sure that everything is kind of like functioning in that sphere uh, as best that it can. Which is, you know, <laughs> not the funnest job in the world, but <laughs> really important. Um, so that, that that's kind of our governance. And then our decision-making tool is modified consensus, I believe. Um, which is a really cool um, mechanism. It was... I'm going to say made famous, but it's not that famous, so that's probably, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the wrong... You see it on shirts everywhere. It, it was made... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's made slightly more famous by the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, um, as they had large uh, groups of people um, making decisions um, by modified consensus. And consensus is... Uh, like um, like a decision-making tool that takes into account uh, kind of everyone's um, opinions a lot more than, say, democracy, whereas, like, democracy, you're like, do we get pizza or do we get uh, sushi? It seems like, but hand, I want, I want hand, beetroot, or, raw beetroot. Yeah, or whatever. It's like hands for sushi, hands for pizza. Um, and it's like, you might get sixes to four and then it's like consensus is like, okay, do we want pizza or sushi? And 
you know, four people might say I'm gluten intolerant, I really don't want pizza. And it's like, okay, we should probably go for sushi, even though there's a preference for that. And someone's like, I really hate sushi. So it's like, okay, we'll talk about that a bit more. So it has this kind of flexibility where if you're more invested in something, you're, I'm going to say vote, but that's the wrong word for it, uh, accounts for more. Um, Everyone has the potential to do what's called a blocking consensus, which is shut down decision um, on the basis of it being against the group or the group's ideology or just pretty heinous in general. Um, And that's saying that I absolutely will not allow this to happen. Um, It's a really powerful tool and... I think there needs to be a a degree of understanding how consensus works to know when and when not to use a block rather than just say, I'm not in favor of this Mm -hmm. um, and be a dissenting voice. Um, But it is a really powerful tool that does mean that, you know, like if, if we wanted to introduce something like, I don't know, racist or something, it would be very difficult for that to get by without someone being like, I absolutely cannot stand this and block it. The other positions are like dissenting, which is like you're against something, but you're not blocking it. And you can talk about that um, because decisions only made after discussion, unless there's no discussion to be had, like everyone's in favor of it. Um, You can be in favor of it or you can be stand aside, which is like, look, I don't care one way or another, you know, which is, a perfectly valid position in consensus. It's like pizza or sushi. It's like, you know what? I'm happy as long as there's food. I don't yeah. really care. Whereas, you know, in democracy, you're forced to pick one. In consensus, you can be like, just get one. It doesn't matter, you know? And we all use consensus on a day-to-day basis when we're dealing with our friends, <laughs> you know, when we're dealing with our family. Like, that's how we operate as humans is like, oh, you really care about this and I don't, so sure let's go with that exactly you know? yeah you don't really like wander through life with your friends only having <laughs> binary decisions like dissent kind of is like a kind of just more more intelligent but also a natural way to like have a discourse about a decision um and uh, yeah allows you to yeah because if if you take the analogy the food analogy with democracy of it being like this or this no one really cares about why you don't want pizza or why you do want pizza they just want to know what your answer is and then that opportunity to be heard is lost which might really give way to um new possibilities and more understanding and empathy between each other so it's a great way to organize but also i think in our situation as well it allows for better decisions to be made and to yeah, it's better decisions to be made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. It, it, it's more human and, I think, results in a more stream... Not streamlined, a more, like, fulfilling way of, like, actually coming to a decision. And if there is a minority of people who are affected by something, they get a lot more power. Um, you know, like, it's very easy to block decisions in consensus Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to have your voice carry a lot more weight than it is in democracy. Um, I think I think it's David Graeber um, who wrote about kind of like, I might not be, but I think it's David Graeber wrote about kind of like the origins of democracy. 
Now I'm thinking about it. It's probably not him, and I apologize for for not fact being read up on this. Yeah, please fact check this. But uh, I'm pretty sure that democracy stemmed largely from groups of people where arms were common. So, like, if everyone has a gun, democracy makes sense because if a fight broke out, um, the person with the most guns would, or the team with the most guns would win. Um, so it's a very good tool for like pirate ships or like like early u.s colonial settlers like you know which is where democracy actually um started being used quite a lot um whereas most societies that were usually small or pre kind of like pre-developed kind of i don't want to use that word that's really not the right word but like societies that wouldn't have been as that wouldn't have had property as much would have operated more by consensus um, because it makes the most sense in terms of like taking into account people's feelings um, yeah. whereas democracy is from people who are like if if we have to disagree about this we're gonna shoot you all you know <laughs> sounds good by me who cares about cooperation no, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's cooperative um, and very collaborative and works to include people a lot more than, um, you know, shooting people or not shooting people. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, the, it made sense if you're on a pirate ship or something, like, Have you never I don't know. Egaita, Egatelian pirate crew? Egalitarian, well, actually... Egalitarian pirate ship. It, 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 it's funny you say that because as more research comes out about pirate ships, they're finding out more and more they were pretty uh, egalitarian. Um, and this kind of stereotype of like the pirate captain um, is, is kind of out, an outdated one um, that in more cases um, than people might suspect, uh, pirate ships were often made of uh, freed slaves from the transatlantic slave trade. Um, which is really cool, and they would go around freeing more people. The decisions were made democratically, which is a lot better than someone telling you what to do. Uh, I am in favor of democracy to that extent. If it's authority or democracy, I pick democracy. <laughs> um, uh, are you and also, me that there was a pirate bias perpetuated, a stigma <laughs> perpetuated to keep. A group marginalized that's crazy yeah crazy. um also that pirate captains were often voted into position so a captain was just the person who um called the shots during a battle uh or who steered the ship um which is um not a huge amount of power um but an important role when it comes to making like uh, decisions in a moment and they were voted in and if they did a bad job they were voted out again so it's not like as far as egalitarian uh, groups go I think pirates are actually up there you know <laughs> well that's amazing where did, where did you learn about these pirates these egalitarian pirates oh I, I've picked this up from loads of different sources and I'll be honest um I don't remember where they are. Again, this is stuff that I would have just collected as knowledge throughout time and could be wildly inaccurate. So if people at home want to fact check that, yeah. please do. Yeah. Well, you can fact check it or you can 
Or you can just believe me. Like, just, uh, just... And let's go back to the age of the egalitarian pirates and find out ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, you know, obviously that's what you should do if you really want (laughs) to... If you really want to know. Beat up that time machine. I got a wormhole right here. But yeah, but anyway, that's consensus. But we actually operate by modified consensus. Um, So as... We live in a society where people aren't really educated about consensus. Um, Full-blown consensus can be very slow uh, and difficult to work with. Um, And unfortunately is not great when it comes to, say, having to remove someone from the collective if they've done something absolutely terrible or, you know, there are scenarios in which it might not be the best tool um, to use. So what modified consensus does is it introduces some degree of democracy into consensus decision making. So everyone tries to reach consensus. If consensus cannot be reached, um, things can go to a democratic vote um, of which a large majority can pass something uh, in spite of um, consensus not being reached. Um, this is in itself is a powerful tool and should not be abused, hopefully, um, and requires a lot of education as to know when not to like be like, you're blocking something, I'm just going to go straight to like, mo- like democracy. Um, but so what allows... transition from someone blocking it, how would they like be able to bring it to a democracy after that? Because that would need to be a group decision. For for sure. So so say that say that Okay, so so a block should be used when there's like like something that that really affects someone or is like ideologically opposed to what we're about. So say someone's like I want to start a bank yeah, you know, on uh, in the collective, and and one of us is like, I I block that. That's you know we can't do that. Um, uh, that probably wouldn't even happen. We'd be like technical point that is illegal for us to do. But whatever, I go I block that. Uh, that person could be like, on what grounds do you block it? And that would be good consensus practice. Um, and then I could be like, oh, well, it's illegal for us to do that. Uh, or it's ideologically against what we're about is being a bank and making money off of people having money or whatever and, and, and shares and stocks. Um, and all of that would kind of be correct. Um, but that person may be like, you block it, I'm going to run to a vote. Let's see if the large majority agree with me. And that would be a poor use of, like, modified consensus. Like, the the way consensus works is any dissent should also always be talked about. And we should understand where people are coming from and why they've taken the position that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone, say, wanted to dig a ditch somewhere, and I was like, I block you digging that ditch there. They might be like, that's not a blocking <laughs> situation. That's a let's talk about it situation. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm definitely blocking that. Then using modified consensus and being like, okay, do, actually, can we make a decision where it's like, 
Yeah. Like, this person's clearly just using a blocking correctly, like, you know. Yeah, for the crack, like, because if that exactly, course yeah. about the hole went on for seven weeks, that's when you might need to modify yeah. that and consensus. Yeah, like, like, a ditch is not ideologically against what we are, so it's like, there, there will be, you know, that that's grounds for a discussion, not a block. If that makes the sense. beginnings of how the bunker is gonna where the bunker's gonna go. <laughs> Don't talk about the bunker. This is this is public, like you know. <laughs> That's a secret <laughs> bunker. <laughs> joke. Ding. <laughs> 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 um, great. So all of this is in the constitution that took a pretty long time to put together. How oh, there's long yeah. Lives? Ah, uh, the better part of a year and a half, I'd say. Um, so, like, a lot of our constitution comes from reading other uh, constitutions of cooperatives, both from inside Ireland and outside of Ireland. Um, yeah, a long, a very, very long time. Um, and it took us maybe... I want to say six or seven times of sending it in to get all of the wording correctly because to the, to the register of friendly societies, yeah, which are who are in charge of um, okaying these uh, these bodies, these industrial and provident societies. Um, so that was a heap of work because we 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 no one in the collective has done anything like this before. I mean, like it's pretty safe to say that we are mostly a group of punks and weirdos uh, and musicians and, and artsy folk who don't have a background in law. I mean, quite a few of us actually have a background in science, but yeah, most of us haven't done anything of this kind of like... Oh, with this much legal jargon in it before, so it, it it's pretty impressive that we did actually manage to get it uh, finally passed, um, which is really cool. And if anyone is listening out there who wants to get a copy of it, like please, please uh, email us um, to get a copy email? of our constitution. Uh, it's affinity collective at protonmail dot com, and you can find it on our site uh, affinity collective dot uh, info. Cool. I feel like, sorry, that was probably a silly place to ask you the question because if anyone was looking for our, our website or email, they wouldn't listen 46 minutes into a podcast <laughs> in, the, in the hope that we might say it. But uh, For sure, yeah. But if, if anyone is interested in starting up uh, a project which is in any way, shape or form similar... Um, it, it, it would be really useful to have this document in front of you, which has been passed by the RFS, um, has been registered. Um, or if anyone's just interested in it, maybe you get your kicks from reading legal jargon. Um, by all means, request it as well. Um, it does have some good stuff in there. I mean, we've covered decision making and governance, um, but there's a whole load of of stuff in there. Some of it will seem really weird uh, and unnecessary. Uh, that's all the stuff that we legally had to put in there. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a couple of clauses that, I, that I'm not a huge fan of, but they are, they're all the ones that are legal requirements. What's your least favourite clause? Uh, you're not... Like, basically, you're kicked out of the collective if you're legally declared insane. 
Um, we did try and leave it out, and we were like, can we not? Um, but that is a legal requirement to have in there. Though I don't think people actually get declared insane very often right. these days. Yeah. I, I mean, don't... That's, I don't... A, that's, a, that's a real telling of how old and outdated <laughs> some of this process is. Like that, yeah. that language yeah. even is kind of from a, a different age in Ireland. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it is a weird one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've learned a huge amount of information that I wouldn't have learned if I hadn't been involved with this project, but I'm still a lot more to learn because so much of this legal jargon, despite like really, really wanting to understand legal jargon a lot more it kind of makes my brain fog over <laughs> like fully. and I, I just get so distracted then I'm like right time to get back into it and then I start like swimming around and then I just it's all foggy again but I uh, it's getting a little bit less foggy but I am really excited like how you mentioned that this a lot of it for a lot of us it was like a new territory you know none of us are well versed in legal jargon unless we have a secret life um, and what this might do is kind of help provide a a blueprint or like a framework for groups who want to do the same thing because we are able to draw on like other groups around the world and in Ireland and collectives that are that have gone through some of these motions but like what Affinity Collective has done is um, pretty pretty unique it's pretty radical yeah. it, it, it's very radical I mean there are there's some other stuff in there actually that I've just remembered that I'd like to talk about too um, but the the takeaway is like if a couple of us twenty and thirty year old somethings can get together out of the blue and be like, we've got fifty grand and a dream, <laughs> and make it happen. There's nothing to stop another group of however old somethings out there with no background in in legal jargon or anything like that doing the same. And that's what's really exciting is. If you're sitting somewhere being like, this project sounds kind of cool, I wish I could do that with my friends, you can. And a lot of that groundwork has already been done by us, and we are dying to share it, because, like, it is... We have done something kind of different here. To to my knowledge, I haven't found anything else um, quite like it in, in, in Ireland so far. Um, another cool thing... That, that's in our constitution is everyone is an equal part shareholder um, so no matter who you are in the collective you own as much of it as the next person um, you can own only one euro share in the collective you can't have more than that and you can't have less wow that can get you about 10 fizzy lollies <laughs> we're 10 fizzy lollies uh owners of 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 the affinity collective each of us and if you join us as a new member you will be you know you will own as much as any of us um it's not we didn't want to create like a buy-in or anything like that money is not an important part of 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 what we're doing everyone contributes in different ways yeah um and we wanted to to represent that kind of like legally um yeah, and it's just, it's so exciting because, as I said, like, punks with a dream and this kind of, you know, collective and community uh, project was something that was a pipe dream 
in my brain when I was younger, but I was like, ah, when I'm when I'm old, I'll be on my rocking chair with a load of punks. I'll be raising goats that are rescued, smoking pipes, being like, yeah. But not in my twenties did I expect to have like the opportunity to be involved in such an like exciting project, you know? Because I feel like this is the future, you know. If 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 we had a lot of projects like this and then this just became the norm like everyone just collaborating networking if we had <laughs> say some kind of sligo leitrim autonomous zone <laughs> would you say ah <laughs> 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 oh, so i've the word slaz has just popped into my head at random times when i've been buzzing around dublin kind of like it's really dreary and gray and sad outside and then it's just Slaz enters my brain, and I'm like, oh, you know what? It's it might be okay. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it might be okay. We'll have our little corner eked out in the yeah. future. But but it's all right because what what's become like kind of a normal th- thinking processes for us for a lot of people would have been like a kind of vague abstract idea where they're like, oh geez, but you you know you can never do that. You know I have to work my job every day mm-hmm. and pay the rent, and then I might have a baby, and then I might pay a pension, and then I'll die. You know, but there's other ways to live. You know, we don't have mm-hmm. to destroy our forests and our oceans and our ecosystems and make money for someone who we've never met who like lives on a throne on the top of a hill somewhere far away like that's not how we're supposed to live it doesn't have to be that way and to see other groups like when i see when i've seen like off-grid communities in other parts of the world and like different like autonomous zones i i it gives me so much hope you know so it's really i really hope that what we're doing can be a source of of hope for, for other for other folks for sure and and the important thing to realize is like um a lot of this stuff you have the potential to do but you have to take the steps to do it um i don't think that's particularly fair on people but like the world that we live in like it is up to each and every one of us to to fight against it like if you're not fighting it actively you're complacent and a tool of like the system that we live in like you can sit there and be like i care about the environment but if you're not actively trying to reduce the waste in your life and stuff, you you are unfortunately contributing it. Not because you want to, not because because that's what you believe in, but simply from complacency. Like, the world is built to funnel us in a certain direction, and you're either actively fighting that or supporting it. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're so, you're so right. And I think that, you know, at least until recently, with kind of instant access to a lot of knowledge you know we know about a lot of bullshit a lot more that's Mm -hmm. going on in the world but there is also perhaps i think that like this illusion of maybe a little bit more um being less barbaric you know because we'll look to like times in the past or we'll look to you know point the finger at another country and be like but 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 that country has it they're doing this so therefore like we are so civilized Mm -hmm. And I think that that might have been an idea up until recently. So it's like you hear vaguely about these things that are going on. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just I'll know about it. I might share some information. But, you know, if I was around in the time of like the Nazis, oh, my gosh, I would have I would have been fighting so hard, you know. And it's like, well, we we have those problems now. Like, yeah, definitely. And it's yeah, there's just no, no, uh, 
no excuse anymore you know with all of this information readily available and the ease to connect to like groups all over and like different affinity groups and like it's not like a guilting or a shame thing like and people do burn out and then you can take a step back but you always got to jump back in because uh, yeah otherwise it's just complacency and it's it's blissful ignorance but I don't know for me it couldn't be blissful ignorance it'd be like <laughs> awful guilt riddled ignorance Wait no, yeah. no. Well, no, it wouldn't be because then you wouldn't. You would actually apathy. Like, scrap that apathy, apathy. Yeah, no, yeah. you can't. Like and yeah, it's just you gotta always fight the power. I mean, when I was younger, I thought that we'd you know progress a lot and then slowly unpeeling back the layers of reality as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult, being like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess we just have to keep fighting because since the dawn of humanity, there's always been bullshit. You know, there's like. A lot of beautiful stuff. There's a lot of inspiring stuff. Loads of amazing people, always everywhere. But there's always tyrants for some fucking reason. I don't know what it is. <laughs> species and like, yeah, we just gotta keep, keep, keep on. It all started when someone put a fence around a piece of land in Mesopotamia. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. when things went wrong. When someone's <laughs> like, "Oh, I can save a seed and put it in the ground," everyone's like, oh, look, <laughs> "This is this is my dirt." You find your own dirt. <laughs> I like that dirt. I'm gonna hit you with a stick. I put this straw hat on my head, yeah. therefore I own this dirt. <laughs> and now this dirt will always belong to my bloodline. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I mean, definitely. And like, the thing is, is like, it'll never be perfect. But like, the potential for doing better is always there, and like, so glaringly obvious. Uh, at the minute, when we look around uh, and we see all of the problems globally, um, like internationally, but also like internationally and regional, and all, like like things can always be better. And and I think if you are a morally responsible person, you should be trying to improve the situation of kind of like those around you, you know? And that means seeking alternatives. That means fighting kind of like oppressive powers um, in whatever way and capacity that you can. And that's very different for a lot of people. And in the same way that I'm like, you're responsible for stuff, I also strongly believe that like you're not responsible for stuff too. Like things are really fucked up and it's not your fault. And it's a shame that for things to change, we as individuals have to make that decision. And it's really not fair. But there is no alternative, like, you know, or the alternative is apathy and we all drown and <laughs> the world goes on fire and we all kill each other for the last chocolate bar on the planet, like, you know. I would, I'd share it with you, Miss. <laughs> That's really sweet, but we'd have to kill a lot of people to get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually heard when I was at work, um, a song by The Strokes, and there's a line in it, and it's just like, the room is on fire and she's fixing her hair. <laughs> and I hadn't heard the song in years, and I was like, "That's so half of the population right now." <laughs> <laughs> and I had a laugh but I was also like ah for fuck like because now that all the knowledge is there I thought that there'd be like an instant revolution but it's still like <laughs> it seems to be 
not as um, fiery as I'd hoped it would be. And there's a lot of just people tweeting things <laughs> and not revolting. But I mean, how can it be? Like, you know, like, like the system is built so that no one has to take responsibility for things. Like, you know, we live in a world where where everything revolves around like the market you know like cap- global capitalism is the, the the largest factor in decision making uh, across the world um like it's very difficult for anyone to actually personally be blamed for what's going wrong like you know like if you take you know a company that's that, that the it, it, if you take the like deforestation of the Amazon rainforest, which is really bad for for a number of reasons, like in terms of like releasing carbon into the atmosphere, destroying habitats, uh, and like like wilderness reserves, and threatening kind of like indigenous people and stuff. There, there's loads of reasons why that is that's bad, um, and we shouldn't do it. But if you look at the people doing that work, they're really poor and that's their only, like a lot of the time, that's their only way of surviving in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why do you do that? And it's because so- someone pays me to do it, I can live. Like, you know, and, and so you're like, well, I can't really blame you for that then. That's, that's, a, that's you. And then you go to the, the, to like the farmer and the farmer's like, I don't, you know, I just make food so that I can sell it. And the companies are like, we just buy the food at the cheapest so that we can make money for our shareholders. Or they'd fire me as a CEO and someone else would do the exact same thing. And then the shareholders are people who have a share in something that they don't even know exists. Like, you know, they just sit at home and they're like, I put a a hundred euros into something and I get 20 euros every week or whatever. Like, you know, they, they, they don't know where that money comes from or what they're supporting. Like, there's no one along the line that's actually like, I am the problem. And yeah. and it's because they aren't the problem. Like, the problem is capitalism. Like, the problem is the system in which no one cares about the Amazon because money is what makes the world go round, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this... Con- well, it's not super contemporary, but it's it's just it's so barbaric. But we have this illusion of it not being barbaric, and it's bonkers. And yeah, it's interesting you talk about shares because you know it's like I, I invested a hundred dollars in a Doritos the other day, <laughs> and it's like um, what that money is actually doing is like just absolutely uh, devastating. And I think it, like it's you know apart from stripping down and tearing down and destroying capitalism like the way that we're brought up and educated in societies of being like very competitive and individualistic um even in the way that we're taught science like you know we learn mm-hmm. about evolution and it's really exciting but then it's like survival of the fittest but it's like wait 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 but what about cooperation you know like you actually gave me a, a book uh Mutual yes, aid, a factor in evolution. Yeah, by Peter Kropotkin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And that book has been passed on, but it was, it was just so eye-opening. But I was like, that's it's obvious. Obviously, humans yeah. <laughs> need to rely on other humans to survive, and hey, that's not included in the theory of evolution in, in like what people are taught in schools is bizarre. Like, because even if you think about how humans evolved so quickly, like intellectually, was 
the fact that they began to farm land. You know, there was agriculture, so humans began to be settled, right? But you wouldn't, you're not just going to be born and learn or, and know how to, you know, plant a seed and foster a tree and like nurture plants and to like do all of those things that make, you know, growing food and plants possible and fostering community. Sorry, I'm tripping over my words now. You're not just going to know that. You're going to be taught that by the people around you. You're going to learn those skills. You're going to be skill sharing the entire time. And that's obviously a factor in evolution, but it's not taught as such in like a conventional model. So we're taught to like compete against each other. We're taught that we are individuals. You do this. You can be whatever you want to be. And you have to yeah. fuck, fuck everyone else. You be what you want to be. And that's yeah. absolutely barbaric. But we think it's like completely normal in our Western civilized society. And how yeah. you're talking about, you know, the person in the Amazon who's like maybe there with a chainsaw cutting something down. I mean, like, I don't know. I just need to get money for my family. And yeah. it is that like, that's what has become of the idea of survival of the fittest. And it's, it's, it's awful. And I don't want to press a button, a big love button where like overnight we just, we all kind of have this epiphany <clears throat> of what's actually important, but we just have to keep on doing all of the fighting that we can. Yeah, a hundred percent. And there are plenty of people that do and have had alternative ideas throughout history and in the modern era as well. Like, you know, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> like, like, like the danger is just there being a bottom line of money and, and kind of like a capitalistic marketplace that is run in this way that, that no one has to take responsibility for everything. Cause, cause like, like even I was talking about before, like shareholders, like like most shareholders aren't like, I'm gonna invest in Doritos. They're like, I'm gonna give my money to a hedge fund company, and they're gonna invest it for me, and they will invest it in a hedge fund, which is like a little bit of loads of shares of loads of companies. So it's like, you like people don't even know what they're investing their money in. Like like a capitalist probably doesn't know. <laughs> where their money's going it's just like yeah i give it to someone they give it to someone they spread it out around loads of different things and then the, all those things have an impact in the world um because that person's like i gave you whatever 100 euros and i want five euros back every week for it or something you know but then that's not that's not a realistic <laughs> amount in shares but like you know that that idea like you know they, they expect something for the money that they're giving um and and the whole system is made to cater for that um in in spite of the fact that like in theory they have power over stuff but in practice they don't really like you know yeah I know it's I mean they might have a vague knowledge of what happens sometimes but um what might overshadow that is this ballooning pile of money that lets them buy more things <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I'm I, you know it, it's just we're there to make dividends like that that is the, the purpose of a company like you know um and, and that's before you even get into like a critique of like of like the employer employee relationship like this is straight up just just markets and how they work and how they impact the world around us like you know like like how they 
absolve anyone of like um of like responsibility and stuff i i um yeah like i i remember i was i was having a discussion with one of my friends um about beyonce um because they were like ah beyonce is perfect and i was like no nobody's perfect (laughs) i was like i'm sure they've done something wrong (laughs) yeah so i so i did a quick Google and it's like their clothesline had been linked to what would it's colloquially known as like sweatshop labor, and 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 I was like, there you go, and 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 that person was like, you know, that's not fair. That's how businesses run, and I'm I'm like, yes, I know. Like, I'm not saying that. Like, I only picked that example because that person was like, this person has done nothing wrong. And I was like, Let, hold your horses, and it's like. It's like, yeah, I know. That's how every, almost every business is run and it's a problem. And if you're not actively fighting that, you're complacent in it and you're propagating it. Like, you know, like she had the power to change that in many ways and didn't. I I mean, I think now she's trying to do better and like fair play, I do think she, like, as a person, I actually do think she tries. She's probably uh, quite good as far as most people go at that at the capitalist level, but the system that she's in means she is making decisions that harm people's lives because she has money. Yeah, I think for a second my tone might have sounded like I was about to, like, go go to town on Beyonce, but I won't. I think Beyonce is... Uh, I don't think anyone's perfect, but Beyonce is... She's, she's good, but, like, the whole... Uh, clothing thing like her status is so big she could have such a massive impact you know she came out and like had a big talk on that and then a huge campaign where it's like hey I'm Beyonce and welcome to my vlog where I'm gonna go thrift shopping but then also go dumpster diving and find my cool new line in this skip you know because <laughs> that's a pipe dream but that would be much better right because if you start any kind of a company if you it's it's really difficult to start a company that's large without exploiting someone somewhere you know because all of the materials especially if they're raw materials or new materials that haven't been recycled there's something dodgy most likely going on somewhere down the line and even companies that try Promoting consumption in the first place is morally wrong. Of course, wrong. but it's unnecessary. <laughs> like, 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 unnecessary consumption is one of the things that is absolutely devastating the world around us. Like, 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 if you want, like, look, we all like to have things, but like, there, there's a capacity that the world can take, and and we are pushing beyond that. Like, you know, like learning how to like appreciate what we have. And to not push to buy things that we don't need or to have things that we don't need is, like, a huge factor in how fast we are going towards, like, destroying ourselves, you know? Yeah, and that brings it back to capitalism. And it's just, it's really tragic because we have so much capacity to connect and cooperate and build amazing stuff together as humans. Like, really, humans can be so amazing but we're we grow up in a world that teaches us to think that we're a lot less than what we are that we aren't enough and that somehow stuff can be the solution to that to like fill a hole 
And I think like there is a lot of movement now around people realizing this and like being, you know, building each other up and 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 all of that rhetoric being spread and becoming commonplace in some circles, but it's not enough. It needs to be bigger. We need to stop thinking that consuming mindlessly and buying mindlessly is normal because it's not it's so it's so bizarre and back to i think on the first podcast we talked about the concept of the dumpster scientist there is enough stuff already in existence to create a fully automated luxury society like we don't need to buy any more new things like when you see a car that's like 22 I'm like, what, like, as in the two zero two. Like, yeah. But but why? <laughs> like, why that did not need to be made? It just didn't. There's a bajillion cars that are already in existence. Three thousand and forty three new Garda cars were delivered to the Gardaí because of lockdown over the last few months, and they were all twenty with the two at the end. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Like, and then, but I mean, that aside, like the amount of food, food, clothing, and a lot of it. I mean. As you know, it just it just it just gets wasted, and a lot of like, you know, this yeah. instant, instant buying stuff, 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 and you know, even when we think that we recycle, a lot of that just goes back to the nations that are fucked over enough from the Western world, and who like the countries that were maybe involved in, you know, as you said, colloquially sweatshops in like sewing these fast fashion clothes. The clothes end up back in these countries. Um, under the illusion that they've been recycled in one of those, you know, metal bins yeah. that people put their bags of unwanted clothes in, and yeah, it's just it's it's hard sometimes to like walk through the world and not become a bitter, hardened cynic, and I have to sometimes like reset the part of myself that is going towards that. So like I, it's important to be aware and to like you know be mm-hmm. empowered with information, but also to like also not become so broken that you can't actually help anything because you're just like oh what's the fucking point and it's like no if i yeah you don't you don't want to become nihilistic for sure um but i mean there is a huge like there has to be an awakening um i think um and i hope that as individuals we can have some impact on those around us in terms of this kind of thing and those people can have some impact around them like Like, having conversations like this is important. I mean, maybe it's not enough, but at least it, 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 it's moving towards something that, that that has the potential for being better. Now, um, like, like I said, like, the, the thing that we're doing is something that anyone could do, you know? And if enough people do, can radically change the, the makeup of a country, you know, island necessarily think that's going to happen but it, it's all it's all trying new pathways like you know we are uh we are kind of like trying to build something better you know and and there are loads of people out there doing the same kind of thing in many different ways you know and that's just what what we have to work with and what we we have to do um Taking it back to the project, though, there's another... <laughs> yeah, I look, we've gone <laughs> no. off topic, but they're all good points. Um, taking it back to the project, another cool thing that we want to do is to kind of, like, offer the resources that we have 
um, through a mechanism uh, more akin to the gift economy, if you've heard of it. And now if you have heard of the gift economy uh, and uh, you probably know that it's basically communism, like it's... <laughs> it's, it's it, it, I know, shock horror. Uh, it, it, it is akin from like if someone needs something, you just give it to them, like, yeah. you know, uh, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Um, where it's like, if it, we're trying to do it, if, if someone doesn't have money, they can just have things. If they have money and want to contribute, that's fine. Um, but taking kind of the, the idea of monetary transaction out of the equation and just having a support structure of mutual aid there uh, in its place which I think is really cool and I don't know to what extent we'll be able to get away with this because we will have some costs we're actively trying to reduce any costs that we will have as the collective to basically nothing or very very small but we probably will need to fork out about two or three grand a year um, not including buying new stuff so I mean, it's not a huge amount of money for a number of people to come up with. But, um, yeah, it's so doable. And, like, I, I am really excited to be able to have, you know, skill-sharing spaces and, mm-hmm. you know, people might come to workshops and some, some folks have money and they'll be into yeah. it and they might be able to donate. Some people won't. And it just doesn't matter, you know, because I've been in, like, yeah. some money moneyless places before where there have been like necessary things that people have had to invest in you know whether it be like occasionally repairs on solar panels or whether it be like fuel for a vehicle that was necessary to transport stuff but like Mm -hmm. in the world that we live in it's not like always immediately possible to become completely free of money but we'll do the best we can and grow yeah everything that we can but that will also be a learning process and then we'll have like you know the free shop um, yeah yeah gift economy i mean i mean yeah yeah gift economy the idea that that we'll all put in what we can and we'll all do stuff for each other because it's it's the right thing to do um i know i've lived in communities which have operated like this quite a bit um and it does work i mean uh, it takes a little bit of getting over the initial kind of like shock of it, but it, it does work. Um, and it, if you need money for something, it does tend to to find its way of getting there. But a huge part of it is just cutting down the consumption anyway. Like, you know, if everything works well in the collective, we shouldn't need to buy too many things. Like, you know, we should be able to scavenge most of the stuff that we need because we live in a society which is very wasteful, you know, and we can use that to our advantage. It's sad, but, like, it's a reality, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I guess in, um, you know, a couple of years when we're podcasting, we'll be able to... Talk about how it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I was in the first time I was ever in a place that was trying its best to operate without money was in the California part of the Mojave Desert, and mm-hmm. it was very bizarre. Like, it was the things you'd hear about in pipe dreams, but to be able to be a part of something, like, albeit temporary, um, 
it was really cool and inspiring you know everything was built out of recycled repurposed material pretty much trash from other people <laughs> it's like a big huge space like an art kind of revolving desert art community uh where like everything was volunteer based but most things were made from trash and it was absolutely beautiful and what they could yeah. grow they would grow um, but yeah. there were like sometimes costs necessary but it was not a huge part of the community like whatsoever and then even like a a, a a few festivals that have operated like completely without money and like gift economy um mm-hmm. they are like temporary gatherings but uh, and it gives an insight into what like a society like that could be like and it is sustainable because it's you know it is a short amount of time but it gets me all like jittery and excited and i'm like oh if you can do it for two weeks you can do it forever it's possible yeah no 100 percent. i mean that's i can't remember how many times i've seen those things crop up as temporary um temporary kind of spots or whatever and people have been like wouldn't it be great if we could just continue this um but i mean you that is what that is the dream essentially i, I think that is the revolution in in many ways like you know that it has to be a social revolution and uh, a realization of how to live better in society than um something of like seizing political power um which i i, I think could work but is is very unlikely to it would require people to not act like how people have acted forever <laughs> in history like you know yeah like leading by example versus tearing down the system both have yeah i mean look I've, I've got i'll admit i've got problematic faves of like che guevara <laughs> 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 but um <laughs> you know <laughs> but like you can have a you can have a perfect political leader who is doing everything right and and they'll die or move on and and who's going to take their place like you know like power is itself part of the problem you know yeah. uh, even if you have the perfect dictator or whatever so it's like we should have a critique of power even if even if people feel like we have good leaders you know even if we agree that the leader is good. And, and this is important, I think, from, like, like understanding how power works, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that the revolution does come from, you know, individuals cultivating a community around these ideas of alternative ways of living and alternative societies and then working to create them and mm-hmm. sustain them. And if this happened globally and everyone just stopped believing in the powers, then you might see like this become the norm. And then the weird communes or like, you know, the capitalist communes where they're all just arguing and (laughs) (laughs) trading money, (laughs) like making workshops on business and entrepreneurship. But it's like the minority, they're just out there doing their thing. And everyone's like, oh, it's like capitalist (laughs) gathering. They're all so weird, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, but this is, this is the thing, um, so, like, uh, we're probably getting on a bit long, but I I I guess it, 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 (laughs) (laughs) I'll just quickly say this piece, like, like, this is the, this is the critique of, like, anarcho-capitalism, like, you know, because loads of people are like, oh, if an anarchist, well, not loads of people, people I talk to 
about politics who, who might not be in the same boat as me are like, yeah, but like, what about anarcho-capitalists? And I'm kind of like, well, look, if there was an anarchist revolution and power was abolished, like all of these anarcho-capitalists, when they talk about anarcho-capitalism, see themselves as employers. I, I rarely, I rarely hear someone saying, oh, I'm dying to work for someone for, <laughs> for women, you know, for, for fuck all money, like, you know, so it's like, these people are people who see themselves as the employers of the anarcho-capitalist future. But, but what about all the other people? I'm like, like, if there's an anarchist revolution, you'll see people experimenting with all the different methods of doing anarchism like you know and and if i was sitting there being like look i can walk in here and get paid to do something that i have to then spend company script on you know the means of survival or i can walk over to that group which are just like we just share everything and if you need help building a house we'll do that for you i'm probably going to be like I'm going to howl up with the communists, please and thank you. <laughs> you know, like, anarcho-capitalism in an anarchist society, I think, is kind of doomed to collapse in on itself um, unless it has kind of, like, the military power to take over other places, which, if you believe what they say, they wouldn't do due to, like, the non-aggression principle or whatever they spout. Yeah, well, I guess thank you for listening everyone um we mentioned it earlier but again our website is affinitycollective.info our email address is on there but is also affinitycollective at protonmail.com feel free to get onto us about anything if you do want a copy of our constitution or any of our other documents because we have other documents that are non-legally binding that describe more about our beliefs and our principles we're more than happy to send any of that on yeah, if you want to say hey, if you're interested in getting involved in the project, any of these things, please get on to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear crazy ideas or stories you have as well that we can bring up on the podcast. Stay safe. Yeah, everything that I said. And if you have a JCB you want to donate, well, hey, you won't say no. <laughs> Definitely not. give you a zine, <laughs> a zine, and it'll have personalized uh, a personalized poem on the inside <laughs> <laughs> okay all right um great thank you so much listeners of the world